Don't forget to rate us on iTunes so we can continue to bring great content to you. Welcome you to our webcast. Is my high school student ready for college? And is my college student ready to go back? Today's webcast is part of Chad's National Resource Center on ADHD's Ask the Expert series. NRC is funded by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and provides reliable, science-based information about current medical research and ADHD management. We have health information specialists available Monday through Friday between 1 and 5 p.m. Eastern Time. You can reach them at 800-233-4050. It's a pleasure to introduce today's expert, Dr. Ari Tuckman. Dr. Tuckman, a clinical psychologist, has given more than 300 presentations. He's the author of three books, Understand Your Brain, Get More Done, More Attention, Less Deficit, and Integrative Treatment for Adult ADHD. His More Attention, Less Deficit podcast has more than 100 episodes and has had almost 2 million downloads. He is in private practice in Westchester, Pennsylvania, a board member of CHAD and co-chair of the CHAD Conference Committee. Again, we're pleased to welcome Dr. Tuckman. Hi there, it is great to be here. And this is a topic that I get a lot in my office. Um, often it's, uh, you know, the parents of high school seniors, um, hopefully it's not in the summer before they're about to go away that this comes up, but um, preferably it's high, the parents of high school juniors or even sophomores. So that gives us some time to sort of work on this. So. Um, but, you know, as part of my practice, I see not only high school students who are looking towards going away to college, but I also see what I call sort of the wayward college students, meaning the folks who went off to college and for some combination of reasons, somewhere between a semester or three or four, things just aren't working out and either the school asks them to take time off or the parents say this isn't working and the parents say you gotta take some time off and then they come back home and everybody's kind of rather distraught about that whole thing and then the goal is to try to figure out what happened and how do we get things back on track now the good news is that often for these wayward college students the story has a happy ending it just sort of sucks in the middle right so the goal for today is to help the parents of high school students um, basically skip that bad part in the middle um, but also for the parents of college students, or if you're a parent of a high school student who finds yourself the parent of one of these college students in some years down the road, to know what you can do about it, that it is not at all the end of the world, um, and that this is a learning opportunity and that things really can work out better in the end. So, um, so that's what we're going to talk about. So let's kind of go through the slides here. Um, so, you know, there's this kind of kind of like a good news, bad news here. So the good news is that all the accommodations and the extra support and the services and, I don't know, the tutors and the SAT prep and the college application, you know, advisors and all that stuff is great. And it can help students with ADHD or other, you know, learning difficulties perform closer to the level of their real abilities through middle, elementary school, middle school, and high school. So the good news of it is that we have a lot more students making it into college and feeling like college really is a viable option. Um, so that's the good news. Now the bad news of that is that a lot of that support and structure that helped these students be successful in high school and therefore get the grades and the scores and whatnot to get into college a lot of that stuff kind of drops away once they're actually at college. And all of a sudden then they're dropped onto a college campus, which really is like one of the most tempting and distracting places in the world. It's kind of like doing calculus at Club Med. You know, there's like, you know, parties and 
hot guys and girls walking around and all sorts of fun stuff and nobody pays attention to when you go to bed and all that. And yet somehow they're supposed to like sit down and do boring homework. So, um, so for some students, they can handle that well, but then there are some students who can't. And those who can't, who are not yet able to handle that, they, they then wind up back at home and they're, you know, maybe they're working, maybe they're taking some classes locally at like a community college or somewhere else. Um, and then they kind of figure some things out and then eventually they go back. But frankly, I think a preemptive gap year is probably better than an unexpected or kind of a forced gap year. And we're going to talk about kind of, you know, some things of that, um, you know, some what some of your options might be in that regard. So part of the problem, though, for teenagers, and this is, you know, true for all teenagers, but especially for teenagers with ADHD, is that they legitimately think that they're doing better than some parents or teachers think that they're doing. So um, that they're kind of notorious for underrating the extent of their ADHD symptoms or the impact of their ADHD symptoms. Um, so in my office, it looks like this me asking the teenager, hey, how's it going? Oh, pretty good, no problem. And then I ask mom, so how's it going? Did he mention he has three Ds, right? And I'm sure a lot of our listeners here can relate to that little scenario. Um, you know, on the one hand, we could say that this is like psychological denial or something, but like, honestly, I think it's more neurological than psychological. I think that truly there's an element of ADHD that impairs their ability to really have a clear sense of how they're doing. How am I doing with stuff? What's going well? What's not going as well? What isn't going well? Why is it not? What can I do to make it better? Um, so if your teenager thinks they're doing, you know, good enough, um, or at least certainly better than you think they're doing, then it becomes this kind of like what I call much ado about nothing. It's like, God, mom, dad, just leave me alone. It's fine. I don't understand why you're so concerned. I'll get the, you know, I'll just do the homework and I'll get my grades, grades up, um, you know, with this genuine belief that things really will get better, or at least a genuine desire for you to stop annoying them about it. But, um, but I think with some genuine belief that like, yeah, it's going to be fine. I just need to do it until they get to that later point in the future. And then they don't have the options that they hoped or thought that they had. So this then leads to that kind of typical power struggle, which of course is true for all families with teenagers, but, um, but especially for students with ADHD, that they have that same high desire for independence, that you know they want to be the masters of their own destiny, and yet they have less of an ability to really do it well, that if you kind of leave them to their own devices, they don't get done enough of the things that they need to get done. Um, so as much as you would love to be, you know, fired from your job of homework monitor, it doesn't feel kind of wise to do that um, because, you know, unfortunately, history has told you it doesn't really work out. So as the parent, predictably, understandably, you want to have more control over what your teenager does. Um, but equally predictably and understandably, the teenager wants to make their own choices. So that's the tug of war um, for every family with a teenager, but especially for families where that teenager has ADHD. So the goal then, as the parent of one of these teenagers, which really I think is true for, for the parents of every teenager who's looking to go away to college, um, is to really have some very clear conversations about what it is that you need to see to feel confident that if we dumped you and a bunch of, you know, suitcases on some college campus somewhere, that that would be a positive experience for you, that you would enjoy it, you would do well, you would manage to get the grades, etc., to keep yourself there for the next semester. Um, because, of course, the goal is not to get into college. The goal is to stay in college or at least stay long enough to do what it is that you want to do there. Um, so when it comes to talking specifically about what it is that you need to see, I think you need to be really kind of, you know, again, like specific about it. So it can't be you need to get better grades because I don't quite know what that what does better mean. Now we're going to argue about 
whether B minuses are better enough, um, whether C's are okay, whether colleges, but that's gym, really colleges don't care about gym, but maybe they do, I don't know. And now we're having a, a debate about opinions. So instead make it very clear, we need to see you know, all B's except for maybe one C or something. So very kind of clear and objective. Um, and to really focus on what matters most, meaning um, probably if we're talking about, you know, a kid going away to college, we're talking about grades, really, like how are they handling their grades? And we're going to talk a little bit about the process that students use to get their grades because that matters too. But what I would suggest putting less emphasis on is stuff like what does your room look like? So, you know, if their room is a mess, they're going to have to deal with a roommate about it. You don't have to argue with them about that. The roommate will give them a hard time if it's necessary. Um, stuff like making their bed. Um, I don't know. This is like my personal bias here. But like, seriously, if the biggest problem you have with your teenager is that they don't make their bed in the morning, your life is way too easy. So, um, so let's really focus on the things that matter the most, uh, which is stuff related to grades, is stuff related to safety, is stuff related to... I don't know, respect and personal integrity. And that means letting some of the less important things go so you can focus on the things that matter the most. And then to create really kind of concrete requirements. Like if you want more freedom, then this is what needs to happen. If you want me to stop checking your homework, here's what I need to see for this many times when I do check your homework. Um, so start this process early and keep talking about it. You know, this is not something that you just talk about the summer at, after graduation. Um, you know, I mentioned that the process is important also. So what I mean is this, not just what grade did you get on that paper, right? That's the outcome. What grade did you get? But, but how did you get the grade? And if you had a five-page paper due on Friday, and you kind of worked on a little bit on Tuesday and then you did some more writing on Wednesday and you polished it up on Thursday and then you handed it in. And by the way, you got to bed on time every night. That's one way to get a B on a paper. Another way to get a B on a paper is to forget that you have it until Thursday night and then in a panic, stay up till one in the morning. And because you're smart and maybe a good writer, you can manage to kind of cobble together a paper that gets you a B. So on the one hand, as far as the college is concerned, I mean, a B is a B, however you got it. But the difference is the student who worked on that paper for three days and got a B on it, I'd bet a lot more money on that kid being successful in college than I would bet on the student who scrambled at the last minute, forgot he had it, maybe needed to get an extension or, you know, just barely managed to kind of scrape it together before the deadline. Um, and the problem with having that bad process is that when the demands scale up in college, when you have more to do and less structure and less oversight, a bad process is less likely to scale up well, as opposed to having a good process is more likely to work out well when the demands go up. A good process also makes you less dependent on good luck and you know enough stars aligning that like oh thank god this was a topic i knew something about or i was able to find this really great website that had all the information i needed so an analogy i use here is is this that um if i went to the bar tonight and i got completely just like hammered out of my head but then i drove my home managed to not get arrested and i didn't kill anybody on the way now, if we look at the outcome, frankly, it worked out fine, right? No problem. No harm, no foul. I don't understand why you're giving me such a hard time about drunk driving. Clearly, I'm good at it. And I think you just need to chill out because this whole drunk driving thing, I think is frankly kind of overrated because look at that. It worked out fine. Right now, that would be insane to take that position because clearly drunk driving is incredibly risky legally and medically. But it's really no different than waiting to the last minute to scramble together a paper and hoping that it works out, right? So you can get away with it. Like you can do a decent amount of drunk driving, unfortunately, before something terrible happens, but that doesn't mean that you should continue to do it. So by the same token, 
a student who uses really bad processes or relies on a lot of annoying and reminding and bugging from you to get things done is probably not going to do as well independently on a college campus. So, um, so this has to do with not just sort of daily stuff like getting into bed, getting out of bed, getting to school on time, doing homework, getting to work, remembering to bring things to and from school, et cetera, et cetera. But also the whole kind of college application process, like how does this student handle the process of applying to schools? How do they handle, you know, taking SATs and study courses and stuff like that? And, you know, for a lot of these students, that whole college application process is somewhat kind of diagnostic or maybe predictive of how they're going to do in college. So if they don't handle that process well, that is not a good sign for how they're going to handle actually being at some college somewhere. Um, I spend a lot of time talking with my clients, teenagers and adults, about like basic kind of lifestyle stuff. So things like, it's all that boring stuff that we should all do better and whatever, but it, but it's true. So like getting enough sleep, eating something that looks remotely like a healthy diet, exercising sometimes, stress management. In the case of teenagers, maybe more so like manageable substance abuse. I won't say no substance abuse because I'm not that naive, but, but hopefully like manageable substance use. Um, how do they handle media and social media and cell phones and whatever? Um, balancing work and play so that they get enough of, of each. Uh, unfortunately, having ADHD, especially if it's poorly managed, makes it harder to manage all these lifestyle factors, which then contribute to this person performing worse. So if you were distractible and forgetful, you know, on eight hours of sleep, you're going to be even more distractible and forgetful on five hours of sleep. So it just makes that bad situation worse in terms of cognitively, in terms of their intellectual abilities emotionally more irritable, less well-balanced, more kind of emotionally impulsive, psychologically in terms of feeling more anxious or depressed or hopeless, socially in terms of how they respond to others. So as much as these lifestyle factors can take away from performance, they're a major point of intervention. You can, you know, there's a lot to be gained from even partial progress on this one. So, you know, so keep beating on that drum is what I'm saying. Um, you know, also for these students, because I meant, you know, I mentioned that they tend to sort of underestimate the struggles that they're having and think that they're doing fine. Um, you know, because they don't feel that they need the help, they, as a result, sort of resist the interventions because like they don't need it. Um, so part of preparing your teen for college or independent living in general is to help them understand their ADHD. Not in, obviously not to make them feel bad about it, but, um, but to just sort of understand it. Because for all of us, accurate self-knowledge is a key component to success. So we all have to figure out, what am I good at? What am I not as good at? What do I enjoy? What do I not enjoy? The things that I'm not really that good at, what strategies can I use to get those things done anyway. So whether it's things like, how do I remember what to do? Or what's my best way to study for a test? Or if I have a paper to write, how do I organize my notes? There's lots of ways to do it, but what works best for me? Um, so I think part of our job as parents then is to help our kids sort of understand themselves better. And one of the ways to do this is to focus on specific examples, but then really also more broadly on patterns. Because, you know, sometimes what happens is when our teenagers get defensive, what they'll say is, oh, well, yeah, that paper was late, but, you know, that was because I had that soccer game. Okay, well, but then what about this paper? But, okay, yeah, that one was also late, but, you know, that was because... Um, I don't know, whatever. I had that other history test. Okay, well then what about this one? Well, that one, you know, and then there's like, there's always something, there's always something. So, um, so it, to focus on the pattern and to say like, you know what? We don't need to argue individual examples because maybe there are good reasons for some of these, but there's like enough of these examples that there seems to be a pattern here and it keeps kind of biting you in the butt and we need to, 
we need to understand why that is. And if you can understand it, the better you can understand the cause of a problem, the more control you have over your options for next time, the more power you have to make it work out differently on the next one. <clears throat> Which then brings us to kind of this idea of active problem solving. So um, when I talk about ADHD, often I talk a lot about executive functions and active problem solving is not really one of the executive functions, but, but I think it's, it's incredibly important because it, it enables someone to address whatever the problem happens to be. So I think in some ways this is one of, it's almost like a meta skill, if you know what I mean, that it's, it's like if some sort of a problem happens, how do you approach it? As opposed to if this specific problem happens, specifically this is what you do. So it's kind of like that old adage, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. It's like that kind of a thing that to try to foster a mindset in your kids that um, to be able to recognize when there is a problem, what I'm doing here is not really getting me the results that I'm hoping for. Something is not working out as expected. And to then do what needs to be done to address it. And some of that might start with just asking around a little bit comparing notes, seeing other people's experiences, or like, you know, asking if we're talking about academics, asking questions in class, or if they're not doing well, to start asking more questions in class, to talk to the teacher in class or out of class, to seek tutoring, which could be, you know, a buddy of theirs who's just having an easier time in the class. It could be an upperclassman. If we're talking about college students, it could be, is there like a math center on campus or a tutoring center? Or putting in that extra effort. You know what? I don't know what the hell we're doing in this class. I need to go go back a few weeks in my notes and like review and see what like what am I missing here? Or I need to go to the book and, and check this out. Or I need to go to Khan Academy and see what they have. Or I need to just throw it into YouTube and see what I can find. And that this active problem solving is really a crucial skill because a lot of the times when I see students struggle it's because of this. It's that they don't have this kind of active approach to say something is not going well. I need to do something about it now, not down the road when it's too late, but like now I need to get going on this and do something. Um, and then kind of coming down towards the end here of the lecture part of this. So, you know, we have tons and tons and tons of research that shows that medication is among the most effective for treating ADHD. That most people with ADHD tend to respond pretty well to it. Um, it tends to have some pretty sizable benefits. So, um, so the good news is we have medication that works. Now, the bad news is that teens and then especially you know college students who don't live with mom and dad who are overseeing their medication are again notorious for not taking their medication. So a lot of teenagers stop taking their medication or, you know, college students stop taking them without a recognition that, you know, a big part of the reason of how I wound up on this college campus in the first place is because I had medication that helped me do better in high school so that I could get the grades to actually get in here. Um, some of these students, they just don't see the need, kind of like we talked about. It's like, I'm fine. I don't know why I need this medication. Um, others, they just don't like the idea. You know, like it's this thing of like, if to take medication means you have to admit there's something wrong with you, because that's, of course, why you're taking the medication. And, um, you know, for a lot of our teenagers, they see this as really kind of like, like there's some moral stigma attached to it or something, as opposed to, I don't know, hell, if they had like seasonal allergies and they had to take Claritin or something, I don't think any of them would feel kind of bad about themselves for it. They might feel annoyed that they have to take it, but, um, but you know, that they don't, they just don't like the idea of taking medication. They're like, you know what? I'm on my own. Everyone's off my back. I'm going to do it my way this time. And I totally get that of why they would want to. And yet not taking medication is often the first step towards things beginning to go badly. And therefore, 
it's often one of the things that I kind of work on most with my kind of wayward college students is getting them back on the medication that was helpful if, if they need it. Um, and for the high school students to recognize that it's helpful. And if they don't like the side effects, to then work with their prescriber to get medication that does the good stuff that you want it to without too many of the side effects that are problematic. Now, if we're gonna talk about ADHD medication in college campuses, not to like state the like ridiculously obvious, but students with ADHD should not under any circumstances give away their medication. An even more terrible idea is to sell their medication. Um, you know, I know that there's ADHD medication that floats around college campuses, um, and mostly it's really, you know, it's not done with largely nefarious intent, but it's still, besides being illegal and then potential legal problems, it also potentially runs you afoul of the college's rules and you know, potentially gets you kicked off. But it also means that when you give away pills, it means you don't have as many of the pills that in theory you should be taking yourself every day anyway, or at least most days. Um, and you know, Chad actually sort of partnered with some other organizations to address this concern about, um, you know, ADHD medication sort of floating around college campuses in ways that it should not be. So, um, so definitely talk to your teenager about it and really instill in them the fact that this is like serious business. It might seem like no big deal to just give your friend a couple pills, but like seriously, this can be a very, very big deal. Um, if you get caught, it could be really big trouble. So, um, but then kind of as, you know, it's sort of a, a couple final points here. So, um, for some, there, there are students who are indeed meant for college in the sense that the kinds of jobs that they want are the kinds of jobs that you need a college degree for, but they're not yet ready at this moment, graduating high school, let's say, ready for college. And if that's the case, it is much better to take a planned gap year before they go to college than it is to take a forced gap year after spending some time that didn't work out. Um, there are some just incredible gap year programs that are available out there, um, and I've got some links on the next slide, um, that are tremendous experiences. Frankly, I wish I could get someone to pay for me to go on some of these, but some of them can be incredibly expensive also. So, you know, see what's out there, and some of them that are expensive might be worth it, um, but, you know, you can also create your own gap year program with a combination of doing some sort of, you know, work, you know, locally, do some volunteering. Now, you don't get paid for volunteering, obviously, but it's probably much more meaningful work. It'll be more interesting um, because if it's not, you don't show up for free. Um, and, you know, maybe also and or taking some classes at some local college while you live at home. Um, I have a saying, there's nothing like a crappy job to convince someone of the value of an education. So working at, you know, Target or, I don't know, around here we have Wawa or 7-Eleven or Circle K or whatever, um, you know, working some crummy job is a good way to see that, oh yeah, this is why it's helpful to study. Um, but what it does is it creates kind of a stepped transition from living at home, going to high school, to living in a dorm, being in college. That that's a huge leap, and some students can't clear that all in one shot. So having a bit of a middle step where, yes, they have more freedom, and that's good, you know, while they're living at home and working and taking classes or whatever, but they also have more responsibility. So they have to get themselves up, they have to get themselves out, maybe they have to cook a meal or two a week, they have to do their laundry. So it's kind of like you're building towards that freedom and independence that they'll have on a college campus. Um, so some additional resources here. So CPAM, which is the Coalition to Prevent ADHD Medication Misuse um, at cpam.org, um, has some good information about, you know, basically not sharing your medication. So if you want to scare your kids a little bit, that might be a good place to start. Um, some other options like the Jed Foundation has this, this program that, that's called set to go and they've got a bunch of information on their website, so set2go.org, um, about kind of making that transition from high school to college. 
terms of gap year programs, obviously Google or whatever will will bring you lots of options, but AmericanGap.org or TeenLife.com or StudyAbroad101.com all have good information, um, and those are the full links are on the slides there, which you can download. So, um, so that's kind of like a quick run through. But let's uh, let's take some questions here. Okay, great. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Tuckman. That was some really wonderful information. Question today is coming from a parent who feels like they initiate and prompt their teenager a lot. And if they don't, they feel like things don't get done. Um, so do you have some specific strategies on how those teenagers can start to initiate and make their own decisions? Yeah, so I think, so I've got a few thoughts on that. My first thought is um, the things that you're initiating and prompting your teen to do are probably a lot of them are things that are important for you that they do, but may not be as important for them that they do. Um, I'm not saying that's a reason why you shouldn't prompt them, but to just sort of be clear about like who's motivated to do what here. Um, alternatively, some of it may be stuff that like, yeah, I guess I could see why I should do that, but I don't need to do it right now. And that kind of procrastination of ADHD that a lot of kids, well, a lot of people with ADHD of all ages, um, they don't feel that activation until they get closer. So, you know, a week out, it, like it doesn't exist to them, but like the night before, all of a sudden now they feel it. So, um, so some of it might be that, but I think you know, my advice would be first to kind of think about like, is this something that they are motivated to do or is it more important to me that they do it? Um, but then to have some conversations with them about like, okay, so here's, here's the stuff that I feel needs to be done. Here's why I think it should be done. I don't really like bugging you about it, but it seems like if I don't, you don't really do it. So, so what do we do here? Like, how do we get me out of the business of having to bug you all the time with this? Um, and to find out, you know, what are some ways for them to be motivated about it? And, you know, if it if these are things that are kind of like somewhat non-negotiable in the sense of like, I can't like I can't let you fail. Like, that's just not acceptable to me. Um, you know, then you may just have to accept that you're going to have to do some bugging of them. But to have some conversations about it, kind of going back to what I was talking about before, like, how do I know that you're ready for college? And to say, like, do not frame this as a threat, but to say, like, you know what? We are watching to see how you handle different things to know that you are ready to go away to college. Because for you to go away and it doesn't work out is not good for anybody. So, you know, these are the kinds of things that we're watching to make an assessment about your readiness. And if you need to take some time off before you go away to college so it's a good experience, then that then that's what we're gonna do. And that's okay, I mean, there's no shame in that. But but if going away to college right after graduation is important to you, then, then you know, these are some things that we need to work on. And that, again, it's part of many conversations that you're gonna have over those years. Okay, great. Thank you. Along that same line, um, I know that grades sometimes are used as a way to motivate teenagers and college students. So what if your student doesn't see your grades as a motivation? How do you help make that connection um, that that has an effect on their future beyond school and college? Right. Yeah, so, you know, for most of us as adults, we can see that abstract connection between these grades and getting into those colleges and then what follows. So, um, but, you know, these, these students who aren't as motivated by grades may not see that connection or this abstract, you know, A is a better, better than a B than a C than a D just doesn't mean anything to them. It doesn't motivate them. So, I think if that's the case, you need to step back a bit and talk with them about like, so let's talk about like, what, what colleges are you, are you thinking about? Um, and, you know, have, have them name some names and then you just go online and you say, all right, let's take a look. Let's see what the average GPA, the average SAT, the average, you know, class rank is for the kids who are getting into that school and help them see how these grades now, even in freshman and sophomore year, directly connect into 
Um, and to do some quick math that they're like, oh, well, I can get my grades up later. I say, all right, well, let's see what your GPA is now. And let's do some quick math to figure out, you know, you're going to need to get 117% your last four semesters in order, or your last four quarters in order to get your GPA up to a 3.0. That seems unlikely. Um, and, you know, so I think that that's part of it. Um, but, you know, it may also be that, that they just don't have as many options for college, but that they may be one of those people who does well in life, even if they don't do well in school. Um, and as the parent, to not make yourself insane over the grades that they're getting. Great, thank you. We are going to change topics a little bit. We have some questions coming in about parents of current college students. So one who has a daughter who's had an unsuccessful freshman year and is saying that she wants to go back to school, but she hasn't really done anything to show them that she's ready. Um, so as a parent, would you, would you take that as a sign that their child isn't ready to go back or how would you handle that situation? Yeah, I think this is a great question and one that I see fairly often. So I think in that case, what I'd recommend is that the parents just talk very directly to their daughter and just say, you know, you say that you want to go, that you want to go back and, and, you know, I believe you because I don't have reason not to, but but at the same time, I'm not seeing you do those things that would get you ready to go back. So here are the things, blah, 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 that, you know, your dad and I or your mom and I think are, you know, would be important to do before you go. I don't see you doing them. So like, so what, what are you doing? Like, maybe I'm missing it. So like, fill me in. Like, what am I missing here that you're not doing or that you are doing that's going to show that you're ready to go back? Um, you know, so start by giving them some benefit of the doubt, um, you know, but at the end of the day to have some to to then continue the conversation about it and to say, well, but, you know, these are our concerns and these are the things that we're not seeing and that we feel like really we should see to feel like you're ready um, and to put something of a timeline on it and to be very, very clear about what that date is, you know, that drop dead date where you need to notify the school. Yes. I'm coming back or no, I'm not. And by the way, here's, you know, a thousand dollar deposit or whatever. So, um, you know, and that that should be on the college student to find that out. If they can't manage to find that out, that that is not a good sign for their ability to handle anything at school. So um, so it may just be that you need to have some very direct conversations with her about it and perhaps be prepared that, you know what, she, she's not ready, not this semester, that's okay, there'll be another one, but not she's not ready this semester, and that that burden of proof is on her to show you guys, not on you to sort of chase her to make sure that, that she is ready. Great, thank you. What about for students who might be in college and might be um, at home going to a community college or local college who are looking into going away to finish out the rest of their degree. Any different suggestions for that audience? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, first of all, I'm a great proponent of community colleges. I think that, first of all, there's no cheaper college credits around, which is important these days, um, but they feel a great a great need in the market, so to speak, in terms of, you know, for a lot of these students that we're talking about, you know, to be able to fill in some classes or to work on some classes while living at home before they go away to college. Um, you know, most community colleges, I think, don't offer a four degree option. At least that's true where I live. That may be different somewhere else, but you can at least get half of your credits there and then you go somewhere else. Um, so, you know, I think in that case, I would talk to the college student about, you know, here's what we need to see. And again, it's the ultimate grades, but it's also about the process. So how are they handling getting those grades? And how are they handling getting themselves to class and getting into bed on time and getting enough sleep and getting to work and all that other stuff? And again, if it's that mad dash scramble that things are getting done, that does not bode well for how they're gonna be when they live on their own or with a roommate who really doesn't give a crap whether they get to class or not, because or not, it's not their job to care whether their roommate gets to class or not. So 
Um, you know, so again, it's that same process of looking at like, how does this, how does this current behavior predict what's going to happen in the future? Thank you. We have a parent whose son has difficulty talking about his future and what he wants in life and his goals. And they're wondering, is, is this typical for someone who has ADHD? I mean, it can be, you know, depending on how old he is, you know, especially like the younger he is, the more common that is. Um, so if he's like 14 and has trouble thinking about his goals after high school, that would hardly be unusual. If he's like 17, 18 and a senior and he's still having trouble, then, you know, that might not be as common. But but yeah, I mean, part of ADHD is not kind of seeing or feeling the future as much as people of the same age who don't have ADHD. So, you know, they're more focused on what's happening right now, more so than, you know, what's coming down the pike. Now, part, this is part of why kids live with their parents until they're like 18 or 20 or whatever and old enough to go out into the world. Um, because as parents and adults, we can see the future more effectively. But, you know, if he's really not thinking about the future, then my advice is you don't push him into the future. You don't push him into making decisions about the future too early. And instead, you find other things that he can do. So, you know, getting a job or taking some classes, whatever, doesn't matter what they are, you know, just trying some things out to help him figure out what it is that he might be interested in doing later and that he might just be one of those guys who kind of blossoms a little bit later. Um, so instead of at 18, it's more like 19, 20, 21, then he sort of figures it out and then, you know, makes it some of those big life choices. Great, thank you. Moving back onto uh, high school students getting ready for college, um, we have a lot of questions about the gap year and, and taking taking that that time off. So when when would you begin having that conversation about you know taking a gap year before committing to going to college or even committing to join the military or do um, something else after high school? Right. So, you know, my my recommendation on that is that you just sort of drop it in casually along the way. You know, not everybody goes straight to college right after high school. There's other things you can do also. And, you know, that your kid's response initially might be, ah, rah, 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 I'm, I'm going to college or I don't want to miss out or whatever. Right. But whatever, you've kind of planted the seed. And then you sort of drop it in again, and then you drop it in again. And, you know, if it really seems like, okay, this is not working out here in high school, um, or it's not working out well enough for me to feel confident to write a fat check to some college somewhere, um, you know, that, that that's then when you start talking about the gap year. And, you know, what all the options are, do a little bit of research and say, like, oh, I found this one. You know, you go snorkeling in the Bahamas every day, and you study, like, you know, ecos marine ecosystems or something. So, um, you know, so it's something kind of appealing and interesting. Um, and to talk about it as basically as, as a little bit of a detour to get them prepared for, for college so that they can really make it a good experience. That you want them to have a good experience in college, which means getting good enough grades to keep themselves in college. And of, you know, that that's, that's where the gap year fits in. Now, you might need to talk to them a little bit about, you know, well, what are we going to tell everyone? All my friends are going away to college. What are we going to tell them that I'm doing? Um, and to make it clear, this is not a punishment. This doesn't mean that they're not smart enough for college. It doesn't mean whatever. It just means that, you know what, we're going to do something a little different here, and this is going to be pretty cool. Um, so, you know, you got to kind of sell it right, because especially for a teenager who might be, feel self-conscious about it, you know, that could be the deal breaker right there. So you need to find a way for them to kind of finesse the language so that the, the social impact doesn't become the reason why they don't even think about looking at it. Great, thank you. Um, and what about for parents who have 
sort of done all of this prep work and um, their child is is they're feeling you know ready to go to college and um, they're on campus and they know that they have different support programs or services there do you have any suggestions for how to for how they can make the best use of the services that might be available on campus right yeah i think it's a matter of i mean first of all having some really honest conversations about what services are available and your student's willingness to use them. Because, you know, this sort of, like, I don't know, there's this just sort of thing about these college services that, you know, by the time a bunch of these students use it, it's like too late. You know, they show up in the 13th week of the semester and it's like their fate has already been sealed at that point. So. Um, you know, to have some really kind of honest discussions with them about like, you know, here, if we're going to send you off to campus, here's, here's what we need to see. Like, this is what it's going to take for you to show up for the next semester. Um, and, you know, as a student, you have to convince an admissions department somewhere to let you in. And then you have to convince mom and or dad to pay for it and to sign off on it. But the same goes once you get into college. You got to convince the college that you got good enough grades to keep you there, and you got to convince mom and or dad, you know, to continue to to pay for it or to sign off on it or whatever. Um, so, so you know, part of that is to say, you know, if we're going to do this college thing, it's with the understanding that you're going to be going to this, you know, support center every week, and you're going to be doing this stuff that needs to be done there. Now, the problem is you don't really have any great way of verifying whether or not it's happening. Um, but, you know, if you make it clear that, like, look, if your grades are below this, we're not paying for another semester unless you can prove to us that you've been to that counseling center every week or whatever, you know. So it's hard because, you know, as the parent of a college student, you have much less awareness and much less access to the information about what's going on there. So. You just try to have those conversations ahead of time and, you know, really kind of emphasize honesty and that, you know, at the end of the day, if they're not going to the support center, you're going to see it in their grades. You know, it will become obvious. This is far from the perfect crime because it will become known um, whether they went or not because you're going to be able to see it in their grades. Great, thank you. Um, along those same lines of services, we have someone who, whose child is receiving, receives therapy, and they're wondering how do you transition um, to not only college, but to also a new therapist? Suggestions for that? Yeah, that, you know, it's hard because there's some college campuses that have great counseling centers and, you know, they they make it a priority to have enough therapists that you know the, their students can be seen um and then there are other colleges where it's like you know you get five sessions a year and that's it and by the way there's a four-month waiting list so that would be something to kind of consider before you even choose a school perhaps um or to find out are there other options else you know in the local community now if you go to like NYU in the middle of New York City. I mean, you got obviously a million options right there, but um, if you're going somewhere else, there may not be easy local options. And especially as a freshman, if you don't have a car, you're really limited in terms of who you can get to. So, um, you know, so that's something that you're going to need to kind of check in on and sort of plan ahead for maybe. Great, thank you. Um, do you have any advice for college athletes? Yeah, um, you know, I think the in some ways, actually, being an athlete where you have a fairly rigorous schedule can actually be better. Um, ironically, for there are some folks where the less they have to do, the less they actually get done. Um, so having a very structured schedule where you have your classes and you have your workouts and you have your, I don't know, you know, you're running exercises and going to the gym and whatever can actually really kind of structure their time and make them much, much more effective. Um, also, depending upon, I mean, there, you know, I had, I don't know, but I had this one college kid who did great at a division one school when he was on the soccer team and they had like lockdown study times. 
And then he transferred schools to another place that had no study times, and he totally struggled because he needed that lockdown study time. And then I've had athletes where this, you know, supposed study time is, is basically like mandatory social hour because nobody's doing any work. But technically speaking, they're all within this study room from six to eight or something. Right. So so you need to find out what the real deal is and not just what it's claimed to be. Um, you know, another potential benefit is um, a, an athlete might have the coach might get some regular reports about which students are eligible or not and will then put some pressure on. Um, or, you know, just in general, this, for the student themselves, knowing that like, oh man, if I get below a B minus, then I'm not gonna be able to play this weekend, provides a much more immediate motivation compared to 14 weeks from now, I may get a bad grade. You know, it's too far away. We kind of talked about folks with ADHD not feeling the future as well. You know, it's like by the time they feel it, it's like too too long into the semester and too much has been set in stone already. So so being an athlete can be a great distraction, but it can also provide some good structure. So I think it's it's really about the details there of how that's going to work out. Great, thank you. Um, we have a parent who's wondering about at the beginning of college, should you insist on full transparency from your student in terms of assignments, assignment status, um, grades, sort of all of those different pieces that go into academics? So meaning, so I assume what, what the question is about, you know, should the parent be able to have full access to all this information, the student's information? Yes, is it a good idea? Is it a good idea for their parent to have full access to all of that information? Well, that's a hard one because, you know, on the one hand, I think the way to think about it is if it's if it's more about managing the parent's anxiety, in other words, I need to see it to know that you're doing it that's probably not a good reason to have that access. On the other hand, if you have a student where you really are concerned, where it's kind of like, you know what, with oversight, I think you could probably be successful in college, but without it, I don't know if you will be. Um, you know, if, if it becomes, if that's part of the bargain, that's part of the agreement that's made is, okay, we will send you off, but here's the deal. We have to have your logins and stuff to the, you know, grade portals to see how you're doing. Then, you know, maybe that's part of the deal. Um, but, you know, my advice there is that you sort of fade it out as, as um, appropriate, meaning that maybe initially you check more and then as you see that you know they're doing fine then you begin to check less um and you know you kind of back off and let them manage it on their own uh, my advice to students when it comes to parents checking their grades or checking their cell phones or whatever my advice is make it incredibly boring for your parents to check your stuff and boring means nothing exciting and problematic to be seen here move on please um in that you know if if mom and dad get bored of because they don't see anything interesting, they're going to not check as much. That's just human nature. So, um, you know, so to make a point then of, um, you know, thinking about what is the right amount of checking? Am I doing this so that I can sleep at night or am I doing this to make sure that my student really is doing what they need to do and that we're sort of jumping onto things early before it's a problem? Great, thank you. We'll probably get one or two more questions here. So what if your teen wants to go to a large party school um, rather than a school that, as a parent, you know has more services and will do a better job um, with students who have ADHD? Right, not an uncommon question. So I think, I think you need to talk to your kid about, you know, what's your motivation for picking this school? Why this school rather than that school? What do you imagine college is going to be like? Um, how do you see yourself handling those temptations of being at a big, big party school? You know, like, let's not be naive about why they want to go there, but, um, but to ask them directly, like, you know, 
why that school? What are your problems with the other school? Um, sort of find out where they stand on it to kind of make your case for the smaller school. Um, and, you know, to have, but to tie then this conversation back to their current and recent behavior. So not like going back to freshman year, but, um, but you know, based on how you've been handling da-da-da-da-da, that kind of gives me some concerns that in a really entertaining, distracting environment that you're not going to be able to handle it well. Um, and that, you know, we may need to, you know, and that if it doesn't work out well, that you're going to be back here in like a semester. And that means kind of a waste of money. It means you're going to feel bad about it. It means that you're then going to have to figure out what to do while you're home. Um, you know, are we really willing to take that chance? Um, and then it becomes on them, again, burden of proof on them to prove to you between now and when a deposit gets sent off to whatever school they're going to go to, like that it, burden of proof is on them to show you that they're ready to handle it. Um, but, you know, it may be that, you know, and this is kind of your last option, but, um, you know, and maybe you just got to drop the veto bomb on them and say, like, you know what? I understand why you would want to go to that school. I do not think that would be a good idea. I cannot, you know, sign on to that. Um, you know, it's like if they said, I want to get a tattoo on my face, would you then be like, oh, well, you know, who am I to judge? So, um, you know, to really sort of to just say, like, I'm not going to do it. Like, I cannot in good conscience let you do that. So instead, you know, if you go either to the local school or you go to this other smaller school and you get, you know, whatever GPA, if you can show us you can handle it there, then I will entertain a conversation about you transferring to this other bigger school. But as of right now, I don't feel like I've seen a track record to convince me that this is a good idea. Okay, thank you. And last question today. So what if as a parent, your child has gone gone to college, community college, four-year college, um, comes back, taking off a semester, um, but your fears or your sense is that they're never going to want to go back to college. Um, how 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 do you help parents through that that situation? Yeah, and that and that's a common fear. But you know, I think that I mean, first of all, a lot of the kids who don't go back to college or the ones who say, oh, I want to take some time off and then I'm going to go to college. They didn't want to go to college in the first place, but they just didn't feel that they could say, I don't want to go to college. Um, so they're just kind of stalling making that ultimate pronouncement. Um, whereas I think that the kids who, there may also then be a subset of the kids who go off to college, it's a terrible experience because it doesn't work out well. And then because it was so terrible, because they weren't ready for it, then they say, nope, I don't want to go back because they you know, don't want to deal with it again. But I think that is a preventable kind of a thing where it didn't necessarily need to work out that way. Um, but I think that for the kids who really just don't want to go to college, and that's fine, like not everybody in the world has to go to college, you know, you don't have to go to college, but you have to have some sort of skills that not everybody else has. So if you want to have anything of a lifestyle that will enable you to live independently. So, you know, there's lots of jobs you can get that are great jobs that pay well, that have a satisfying, you know, life that don't involve a college degree. And frankly, having a bunch of college debt and then to do one of those other things is really no blessing. So, um, so I think to help them figure out like what else, if not college, then what else is it going to be? Um, and you know, that may be a process that takes a little bit of time, but you know, that's okay. Parenting takes a while sometimes. Um, but you know, I think that for the kids who kind of, you know, where they take time off or whatever, either before or during, um, you know, I'm going to go back to my, my line from before. There's nothing like a crappy job to convince someone of the value of, of an education in that, you know, I've seen a lot of folks where, you know, with a little bit of age and a little bit of wisdom and some experience, they, they come to a point of realizing like, you know what, 
actually, I, I am ready for college. I, I can see now that I wasn't before, but I am ready now and I can do something good with it. And it's going to be a positive experience, not just like academically, but it's, but they're going to get a lot more out of it. And, you know, since teenagers with ADHD often mature a little bit more slowly, so they're like a couple of years behind in terms of some of these life management skills, it may be that with a, that there's a big, big difference between 18 and 19 or like 19 and 20 in that with a little bit more time, they figure that out and then they're ready to go and to do well and to make it a good experience. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for our webinar today. So thank you so much, Dr. Tuckman, for a wonderful presentation. And thank you to our participants for taking the time to join. ADHD challenges continue into adulthood for 35 to 65 percent of children with ADHD. Finding strengths, building resilience, and learning to self-advocate will improve your child's chances of succeeding in college, vocational school, or the workforce. Learn how to prepare your child for life beyond high school at www.helpforadhd.org. That's www.help and the number 4, ADHD.org.